It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is Lighthouse Faith Podcast, moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. We are in the season where we celebrate some of our most patriotic holidays, like Memorial Day or Fourth of July. And one question that is asked during these times of pondering the country's origins is, is America a Christian nation? And of course, if you ask in today's, you know, cancel culture and secular saturated media, the answer, of course, is no, that America was founded by, quote, a chance accumulation of adventurers, religious outcasts who stumbled into assured prosperity because of abundant natural resources. But if you research America's founding documents like the Mayflower Compact and even the Constitution, you will find, as historian Marshall Foster writes, quote, that our nation, its Republican institutions, economic prosperity, and individual liberty can only be attributed to the hand of God and the covenant between our founder, founders and their creator. So why isn't that narrative being taught to our children in public schools? Uh, because those who formed the national education system were followers of many of the socialist philosophies that gained ground in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, like um, those of Karl Marx. If you want to learn the real faith-filled history of America and the founders' presupposed Christian moral foundations, then one of the books you must read is Marshall Foster's The American Covenant, uh, The Untold Story. Dr. Marshall is the founder and president of the World History Institute. It's a nonprofit educational foundation. And the book, The American Covenant, was part of Kirk Cameron's American Campfire Revival 100-Day Plan. It's filled with vital information you will never learn in today's history books. Never. And Dr. Marshall joins me now. Welcome, Dr. Marshall. Lauren, it's so good to be with you. You know, it's amazing when I'm just reading through the book how much I really just didn't know. Um, uh, there's some things I did, but, you know, most things you're not going to be taught in school because there's always a narrative in schools as to um, what's really the foundational principle here. I mean, there's, like you say in your book, there really is no neutral territory when it comes to, to religion. Um, you're either, you know, worshiping God or, you know, like you say in your book, the public school system has by default come, teaches uh, uh, human secular secularism, you know, uh, which basically is a, a religion the, because the Supreme Court said it was. It ruled sure. it was. So, sure. but tell me about the American Covenant. Explain what this covenant is. Well, going back in history, really all nations and all people have been in covenant with God from the beginning. Adam and Eve, uh, Noah, the great covenants of history, uh, Abrahamic covenants, uh, the Mosaic covenant, all the way down to Jesus and the ultimate covenant uh, that was inaugurated through his sacrifice on the cross. But but the concept of covenant is a co is the concept of relationship, and 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 when it be related to the founding of nations or governmental documents, it is it is two people coming together, usually under God, in the case of the Christian religion, and that's what happened with the Mayflower Compact. Right at the beginning of America, America was founded by some 
religious castaways who literally had no power or influence uh, thrust out of Europe and they come into New England and they're outside of the King's Charter. So they have to write their own form of government. And when they do, they write a compact or covenant. And the covenant is between themselves and God to obey his word and to obey God and also to love one another and to build a constitutional republic. That's actually what they built. So mm -hmm. they, they followed the biblical construct that was given by Moses of electing representatives and eventually a house and a Senate and, and having judges elected and then having uh, all these things that we have in our country today uh, were brought over to our country by biblically trained uh, people, many of them persecuted Christians from Europe, and they founded this nation upon a covenant with God, a relationship with God. And that was true in every one of their gov governmental covenants, their church covenants, and their and their personal covenants. And so this went down for 150 years. I call it the, the forgotten century. And during that forgotten century, then it built in each of the colonies this form of government that was built on self-government under God. We didn't need a king to rule over us because we were ruling ourselves uh, by the power of God. And the result was that we came up with the Declaration of Independence, which, by the way, is a covenant, is it not? Yes. So you get to the end of it, it's stated as a covenant document. It says, with firm reliance upon divine providence, we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. So they're depending upon God to pledge to one another to obey this covenant. And that's what America was built on. And that was the strength of America. We weren't one uh, group of people, one denomination. We weren't just, or one racial group. That wasn't the concept. The concept was we come together under God and we covenant together uh, right. to, to build a nation. And that was that was so unique in history that it really hadn't been done since the time of the ancient Hebrews. And what we're going through today is very similar to, I was talking to you before we started the, the podcast, it's very similar to what Israel went, underwent when it demanded a king and when it went to the priest Samuel and said, mm -hmm. we want a king to rule over us. And it's like, you know, why have, and he grieved over that because he, he grieved because he thought that they had rejected him. And God tells him, it's not that they've rejected you. They have rejected me as their God. So they're asking for an earthly king to rule over them. And this is kind of how I see what's happening today in our political world, that people have forgotten God. You look at all the polls and the generations keep, um, falling away from organized religion, but they're not—they're not falling away from faith. They're—they're they're just putting their faith someplace else. And you see this by how much um, people's um, sort of faith and religious sort of fervor is put into politics and a political figure. And that's yeah. kind of the same kind of scenario, right? Well, exactly. In fact, that's what God warns in in First Samuel. He says that if you want to have a king, I'll give you a king, but he's going to run your your sons in front of his chariots in wars around the world. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. And then, because he's going to be in control. And then he says, he's going to put your daughters in his soup kitchens. In other words, the, the, the daughters are going to work for the government. And, and, and when you put the government in control of employment and in, in control of wars from the top down, uh, and the people lack their control because they give it over to a king, you're going to have tyranny and Lauren, the sad story that my, my, my book so clearly defines is that in the history of mankind, there's only been about 5% of the people that have ever enjoyed liberty of any kind that we wouldn't even think of as liberty today. The vast majority have lived under these tyrants who have told them what to do, what to believe, how to act, who to marry, and when to die. 
And, and, and we are so spoiled in America. We thought that this is just going to go on and that we yeah. can turn our back on the very founder of our great nation and republic, which is God himself, and get by and have our freedom without having our relationship with God. And, and that is bringing us to ruin. Um, I want to read something from your book and you quote the Mayflower Compact because I want to read this because I don't think many people know and I didn't know that the Mayflower um, participants actually made this compact while they were anchored off the shores of America um, before Mm -hmm. they set foot on America. And this is part of the compact. It says, um, for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our King um, and country, a voyage plant, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. Do these present presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God, and and one of another. Uh, I mean, it, it just goes on and on and on. It's just this idea in the name of God. I mean, the document starts in the name of God. Amen. That's it. Right. And we covenant together. The next words are and we covenant together. And so. The idea was now we're going to covenant together to form a form of government. Since we have none, we're in the wilderness. We have no king out here. So we're going to form our own government. But we don't want to have chaos where we're going to have a a one-person democracy where we kill the blondes by having a majority vote. So you want to have a republic, not a democracy. You want to have it's based upon laws and not upon men. And so whose laws do you choose? And they chose God's law. God's fundamental principles from his word as the foundation for their political establishment. And that was the truth. That is the way America was built. Now, if someone wants to come along and come up with another uh, uh, way in which it was built, you're just lying to the facts. Mm -hmm. That is not the way it was built. And And the success of it is irrefutable. And to now dump all that, to go for false Marxist theories that can clearly be traced back to the Frankfurt Institute in Germany and Russia in the 1920s, brought into our public school system by John Dewey and the progressive public schools and how they've rewritten the textbooks and they've rewritten the story of America. Uh, this is something I wanted to talk about. Me. This is very important that, that people need to understand about the educational system. And I was actually disheartened because I went to Horace Mann Elementary School in Minneapolis. And when I learned sort of about the history of Horace Mann, I was not really pleased, but it made so much more sense of what I was taught in the school because of this background. Now, not, not everything Horace Mann did was, was, was terrible. In fact, most of what he did was really great. But the foundational principles on which he laid the American educational system really was not based on giving honor to God. It was giving honor to sort of hum- humanity. It was a human-centered um, religion, basically. Um, he, he was part of the... Uh, it's, we're t- you're talking about socialism in America. In 1905, the Intercollegiate Socialist Society is kind of created. And, and what, what was that, Dr. Foster? Well, Fabian Socialists, they would call themselves in those days, small group that would meet like at Peck's restaurant in, in New York City. And there'd be five or few people, Clarence Darrow, some famous lawyers, some famous individuals uh, would meet and, and John Dewey later on. Uh, and and uh, you have the secular humanism movement comes out of this. But but they themselves were a small minority at that time, but they, they dedicated themselves to take their Marxist ideology into the society from the grassroots. Uh, they went into the motion picture industry. They went into, the, of course, the education field through John Dewey, uh, New York uh, University or 
Columbia Teachers College. And then right on through into our system, they infiltrated their worldview that in 1905, when they met at Peck's Restaurant, these five guys, I mean, they would have been laughed out. They would have had tomatoes thrown mm-hmm. at them in the mm-hmm. street if they would have brought it up. Now it's become the mainstream of American political thought. And, and that process was slow. Generations of education. Yeah. But the, the, the process was slow. But 1921, they changed the name to the League for Industrial Democracy. By 1930, there's 100, 1930, so 125 chapters of, of student study groups that John Dewey was a VP of the League. And John Dewey is, in, if he was, he became president of the United States, right? I mean, uh, am I, if, I'm, if I'm getting my history right. Yeah, no, no, not no. John, John, he spent his life in education from right in education. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. and yeah, and he became but the he was founder v- of Progressive the, Public Schools. Right, he was yeah, the VP of the League, of yes. the. Uh, I'm sorry, I meant the the League for Industrial Democracy. Yes, right. And That's so right. he was part of that, um, and he basically, along with other folks like you know Reinhold Niebuhr, who was Niebuhr, who was a socialist theologian, uh, horseman and others really created the edu- public educational system. What did they do? Well, they, they, they were able to bring it about by their perseverance and taking their ideas into the academic classrooms. This was at the same time that the Christian community was beginning to withdraw from its cultural leadership. Up until 1900, every leader of every major university had to be a pastor first. Most people don't know that. I think it was 1895 mm-hmm. was the first time that a major university in America, public or private, had a president that was not a pastor. Yeah, because they were uh, formed basically to 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 educate um, ministers, right? They, a lot of these. Yeah, and and to educate people from a biblical point of view. So what happened is that these Marxists moved into these positions of authority. Uh, I know this per, firsthand because 50 years ago, right there at Berkeley, I was with Campus Crusade for Christ. I came out of college and I started. Uh, 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 teaching and being a minister there on the campus for nine years at USC and Berkeley and various places. And we were there at Berkeley when the riots were breaking out and they were burning down the administration buildings. And I was there on the platform debating with Jane Fonda um, about the Marxism when she was coming back from Ho Chi Minh City in mm-hmm. 1970. So, I mean, we go back to those days where they founded the SDS and uh, Tom Hayden and all those guys in the little groups of people that were then considered radicals at the campus level. Well, those people have grown up now, and now they're the heads of the universities. They're the, they're the, uh, the headmasters and presidents. And as a result, their philosophy that was, was you know, in the streets uh, 50 years ago is now uh, in all the positions of our major institutions today. Well, I want, I want to take a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast, talking with Dr. Michael um, Foster about the American Covenant. We're going to c- come back and talk about some other things that are looming for America. We'll be right back. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. All right, we're back on America, I mean, on Lighthouse Faith Podcast, talking with uh, Dr. Michael Foster about his book, um, the, America, the American Covenant. And it, um, Dr. Foster, one of the things that, um, was that, we, that we talk about all the time 
And I want to reiterate and rediscuss this because even though many people know the history of this, there's one element of this that I think was very, it was obvious, but not really understood as well. And it's about the separation of church and state and what it actually means. And uh, explain what the First Amendment actually says and then what it actually means. Yes, the the, uh, the First Amendment was was put in. Remember, the whole Bill of Rights was put in. It wouldn't have had a constitution had they not had a Bill of Rights because there were so many concerned about the government being too powerful. And so the first of the amendments and the first thing dealt in these amendments is the question of religious liberty. And what the First Amendment teaches is that, is that there shall be no establishment of a church state. They did not want the Church of England coming in and becoming controlled by the king and then controlling everybody else. And they tried, they wanted religious you know, the, liberty, and the British tried actually to do that. They tried to make it all. They were just saying, yeah. we want the church to be free from the state, not the state to be free from the church. That was never their intent. That's been turned around in our time to be interpreted as something called the separation of church and state. That is nowhere to be found in our constitution. There is no official separation where you can't influence, you can't pray in school, you can't. There's no indication of that anywhere in our document. That's simply a 20, 21st century recreation of the, of the philosophy, trying to say that the religion of secular humanism, which dominates the schools, that's okay to have in the schools. But if you want to have a prayer before, before a football game, can't do that because you're bringing God into the issue, right? And so it's, it's just another power play an attempt mm -hmm. to destroy our religious freedom, which was the very purpose of the amendment, was to provide for that freedom. Yeah, and what's very important, though, and you write this in the book, and most a lot of people do know this, is that the idea of separation of church and state, this wall of, of you know, between this, uh, the separating the church and state, came from a personal letter written by Thomas Jefferson in 1802 to um, Baptists and Congregationalists in Danbury, Connecticut, that they were afraid that America was establishing a religion, uh, a state religion or that one would have power. What, what I didn't get in that, what you brought out in the book, is that Jefferson was not part of the group writing the Bill of Rights. You know, he was not part of the yeah. Constitutional Convention. And yet, the Supreme Court constantly will use that or rely on that to make court decisions, to make rulings. That shouldn't be, right? Oh, it should have had nothing to do with it. And that was never Jefferson's intent anyway, even when he wrote a personal letter to those Danbury Baptist um, pastors, he was just trying to encourage them, no, no, religious liberty is there. We're not going to take away your liberty because they were always afraid that the state church, which had happened in Europe all the time, would take over and the king would use the church to oppress the people. They didn't want that, but they definitely wanted Christianity. It was in the warp and woof of all of their schools, of all of their teaching. Uh, they produced a Bible from the Congress. They, I mean, this was a biblically based nation. Was everybody a Christian? No. But were the founding principles and the founding concepts of every one of our institutions built upon the Judeo-Christian tradition? Absolutely. And that is what made us great, Lauren. And, and to give that up is the thing that's going to cause us to lose the country. So we're pleading with people to come back and learn this great truth. And as, as we do, if millions of us will heed the call, then uh, we can mm -hmm. peacefully restore the country. What is the 16... Uh, 19 project. Um, a lot of people probably have heard of this. Um, I have heard of this and I kind of loosely understand what it is, but what is it about? Oh, put together from a book from a lady, uh, Zinn, I believe in, but it really comes out of the New York Times. 
and it's uh, the New York Times version of the founding of America, which is, is turning America from the very beginning into a racist country, saying that in 1619, as there were, there were some Dutch traders that came in with some a few slaves in 1619 into the Virginia colony. That was a year before the Mayflower was signed up in up in New England. That was right. far north. This was in the little struggling, almost dead colony in Virginia mm-hmm. called Jamestown. And uh, yes, that was a it was a terrible thing. That was the, in the initiation of slavery, which then caught hold through the 18th century, as we know, and caused the Great Civil War. So. We know that's true, but what they've done is they've taken that one event and they've made all of American history, including the founding of our country in 1776, nothing but a, a racist um, uh, attack where white men uh, wanted to control the world. And so they put together a document like the Declaration or the Constitution, which protected only white men. This is absolutely not true. In fact, those documents were breaking forever the, the bondage of having uh, racial or identity politics by stating in their very beginning in the Declaration of Independence, all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That one statement is not found anywhere in Europe uh, at the time. You certainly wouldn't find it in Asia and Africa or anywhere mm-hmm. else. It was founded upon the Christian concept that all men are created equal and were equal before God and, and God is without partiality. And that's what it began. Did they live it out completely? Did they have to deal with the slave issue that was was brought to them in that generation? Yes. Did it take a while to deal with? Too long? Yes. Did we have to fight a civil war? Yes. But, yeah. but was that all that is America? No. America was built on a basic fundamental greatness of these biblical principles of liberty that came from Christianity, not from the Enlightenment. You didn't get it out of the French Revolution, which was a bunch of uh, murderous thieves who came in and, and raped and pillaged the people and, uh, and brought on the uh, the dictatorship of Napoleon. Um, our, our country was built on not other but a Christian foundation. Yeah. And you're talking about in the book from you actually quote Tom Holland, historian Tom Holland. It says to live in Western uh, in a Western country is to live in a society still saturated by Christian concepts and assumptions. And a lot of the ideas that people get about God that God is is love, it's about a God of love. Well, where do you get that idea? I heard uh, Pastor Tim Keller talk about uh, the ideas, like where do you get this idea that God is a God of love? I mean, people who don't, you know, who don't have any organized religion, they they don't, they eschew it. He says, where do you get this concept of God as a God of love? And he says, you're, you're not getting it from nature because nature is very brutal. I mean, can you get that God is a God of love from the hurricane, from the thunderstorm, from the tornado? No. The only place in any document um, that says God is a God of love is in the Bible. And right. so we under, if we understand God as a God of love, how do you know that except from the Bible? And so it, it really is living out Tom Holland's statement is that you're, you're saturated by Christian concepts and assumptions, even though you don't even realize it. You know? That's right. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't come out of uh, just anywhere, right? Yeah. It comes out of, out of uh, you know, Jesus. And so, the, the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, that's where we find the, the first should be last and the last should be first. And the whole conception of selfless giving and caring for the poor and the needy and all of those things come from the understanding of the Christian God, who is the God of the universe. So we get back to him and we're, we trust him and we can restore and rebuild our country. Yeah, there's, 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 uh, there's a lot of building to do. What, how do you go forward now? What is the next step that people have to take? Well, I think uh, we talk a lot about it in our book, The American Covenant, The Untold Story. Uh, 
which by the way, they can get with at uh, Mayflower Institute, or no, that's the first name of our institute. It's the World History Institute. Mm-hmm. Now we've changed mm-hmm. our name. But World History Institute, the American Covenant. And in there, in the book, we, we detail uh, how we can restore our country from the from the grassroots. It's a basic strategy that was given by in Deuteronomy by Moses when the children of Israel were going into the promised land in Deuteronomy 6. He said, "We know, you need to know God, love God, train your children in the morning and throughout the day in the evening. You need to live out hospitality and love for your neighbor. And then you need to reach out to civil government, civil authority at the gates. And you need to help help your cities uh, become self-governing. That strategy given by Moses to the children of Israel going in to, his, to uh, the new Israel at the time uh, is the same strategy that is seen on the Forefathers Monument in Plymouth that the pilgrims use. The largest granite monument in America is there. Kirk Cameron and I did a movie on it called Monumental. Mm-hmm. And that monument, 80 tons of granite standing over 80 feet high, overlooking the Mayflower, tells the story of what to do, Lauren. And it's just so simple. It's the same thing. We need to love the God of the Bible. We need to know his word. We need to obey his commandments. Then we need to set up a legal system built upon these just and merciful laws. And then we need to train our children and train them in in these principles and train them in the truths of the way the world works. And then we need to have what's called the liberty man. We need to be liberty people, free, but willing to defend that liberty. And that story is told on that monument. It's told throughout scripture. And in the book, we detail all the stories of from Alfred the Great to Patrick of Ireland to all the great heroes of history that have liberated nations. And they have done so following this same grassroots, Mm -hmm. basically peaceful strategy to save nations from the inside out. What the campfire revival, uh, American campfire revival, it's a hundred day plan. Where can people see that? What, and what happens on these revivals? And, um, this is something that Kirk Cameron and, and you kind of created, um, what, yeah. we, what will people? What are they, and what, what will people learn? Well, it's wonderful. It's going to be going on. We're not. We're not done yet. Um, actually, Kirk has been a dear friend of mine for you know 15 years. We've done a lot of things together. But he, on his own, really uh, got in his backyard, started a campfire, and about uh, 120 days ago, he began a commitment. Right, right January 24th, mm-hmm. I'm going to give 100 nights to this, and I'm going to walk through this book, and I'm going to teach America's history. I'm going to have a 100 day plan to save America. And he did it 15, 20 minutes a night right in front of the cameras on Facebook and Instagram. Ended up with three and a half million followers all over the world. Mm. And he, he went every night, never missed a night. No matter where he traveled, he was always in front of a campfire. You see it in the back of my book. And he's sitting there doing this. Um, and I was his only guest throughout the time. Uh, and we just had a great time. He's, we had such a great response. Then, of course, I, I came out with his new version of the book and right there in the middle of the campfire. And we've just sold out of copies. But he is now coming back after three, two or three weeks. He's taken off with his wife and relaxed. He's <laughs> going to come back and hit it again. And so look forward to that. Go to KirkCameron.com. You can see all of the 100 episodes. Uh, and then you can also see uh, the coming uh, episodes on the covenant. He's going to continue with this concept of America can be saved by covenant by going into the family covenant. And he's going to talk about family relationships, husband and wife. But uh, from a covenantal perspective, but he's, he's also going to have Thursday nights. It's going to be like Patriot Night, and and uh, we're going to continue on this study of American government from a from a covenantal position or a Christian position. And you said and, something uh, anyway. But we're going to be continuing the program. It's going to start this summer and uh, right on through the fall every night. 
you said something very, very important, which is the idea of family. And one of the things that the founding fathers and really even generations up until probably maybe 10 or 15 years ago really believed was that the family, um, you know, the nuclear family of, you know, mom, dad and the kids was the foundation and the sort of the holding together of communities that the first line of defense for a child to learn um, morality, truths, um, mm -hmm. love, um, you know, uh, security, um, all of those things came from the family and discipline as well. All of those things came from the family. And so that when they went off to public school, then they could just focus on learning. But what has happened because we've got such fractured and dysfunctional families that the public schools have become places where kids now have to be disciplined. They have to be taught basic values. And so this is why the public school system is even more dangerous to kids today than it was, you know, 50 or 40 years ago, you know? That's right. It's become the whole culture uh, because the people, we pay to dump the kids there and say, raise them. Uh, that is, it's really, it's not, it's not good for our country. It comes back to the parents. It comes back to the family. That's the root of it all. We must restore that. And as we do, we restore them intellectually to be self-governing. We're not attempting to escape from realities or intellectual debate. In fact, we want to bring these kids to the place where they can think for themselves, where they can read well, where they can think well, where they can lead in the next generation. And that's not being taught in the vast majority of schools. So if we will do it right, starting with our own families and continue to grow this, there's no doubt that there are millions of very concerned families out there right now, what's going on in our country. Well, I want, to, I, want to I, want to end, I want to end with something that is a, a quote from Benjamin Franklin that I thought was really, really powerful. I mean, and most people cite Benjamin Franklin, like you say in the book, as a deist. And so they, when people say a deist, they mean, oh, he just believed in God, but he didn't believe in Christianity and all of those other kinds of ideas of, you know, divine scripture and all that stuff, all that. I would challenge anybody to believe that, you know, he, just reading this quote. And this was, I believe, at the Constitutional Convention when they were trying to create a constitution. Is that is that is that correct? Yes. They, they had a big impasse after two months. Yeah. And they were breaking up and he, he spoke to them. Yes. And he said and they and they were they were almost going to like go home. And, and when you go home and in that era, it, people just don't fly back. It takes a long time to gather the people together. But he said, God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it possible that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. This is Benjamin Franklin speaking. He quotes, he quotes Jesus. He quotes um, from the Old Testament. Um, this is not a man who did not believe in the Christian foundation of the world. Oh, he did. Absolutely. He said, you know, the, the man that brings in uh, original Christianity said will be the, the greatest man in the history of the world. He he understood that Christian principles were the answer. Yeah. Uh, he struggled with deism in different times in his life and all this. But in reality, he knew it and and uh, and brought it out right there at the convention. And they did come together uh, and they did uh, come together and bring about this great document uh, a month later. So it's a wonderful thing. And, and uh, people know in their hearts. Uh, the history is proven to be true that we need to come back to God. It's just at that at that time. That's why we call it the American Campfire Revival. Basically, we just want in our homes and in our besides our fireplace or our swimming pools, wherever we are, to begin to learn and pray and rebuild our country peacefully from the bottom up. 
by by uh, uh, learning to to trust God and not trust the government to become our overlord. That's going to be key. Very, very, very key. And I just want to leave people with this thought too: is that you know, and you talk about this in your book that there are basically two narratives kind of going on uh, about um, you know what really is the narrative for humanity and the world. Really, I mean, if the Bible is true then the Bible is the world's grand narrative of who we are and what we're about, what is their purpose in life, um, and how we should lead our lives. Yeah. Um, and if it's not true, then it will, the world will, you know, then it's everybody for themselves, basically. Um, so, yeah. but I want to thank you so much. The book is called The American Covenant. And once again, where can, where can, people get access to the book and to the uh, American Revival Campfire. Yeah, so you can go to all of that. Uh, just go to uh, uh, worldhistoryinstitute.com or uh, um, the uh, just say americancovenantbook.com, but just go to worldhistoryinstitute.com and you'll see all kinds of materials and our movie uh, there and, and information about Kirk and the Campfire Revival. So uh, it's available right now. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Gloucester. And uh, thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Thank you so much, Lauren. And thank you all for listening. My name is Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.